0: in the seventeenth division of the Gospel according to Luke, in the thirty-second verse. Jesus there tells us something. Jesus tells us to remember Lot's wife. Now, when you think about Lot's wife, folks, it's a sad story. Because Mrs. Lot, she was. She was a wife. She was a mother. She was a daughter. She was a sister. But she's not remembered for any of those things. Instead of being remembered for who she was, she is remembered for what she became. And that was a pillar of song. Just one Irresistible but forbidden glance back at what was happening to the city that she was leaving. Well, in this 17th chapter of Luke, Jesus says that's what it's going to be like when the Son of Man is revealed. That when He comes back and He's revealed, don't, in that day, don't go back to the house and try to get your stuff. He said, don't look back in that day. And Jesus says, don't look back. And He says, remember Lot's wife. This story of Lot's wife, it's a strange old story. She's the wife of a man who sat at the gates of the city. That was the place in that far-off day and time where the judges sat. Lot held a position in that day and time in the city of Sodom that we would equate today as someone who was sitting on the city council. He was considered by some people to be one of the leading citizens, one of the city leaders of the great city of Sodom. Perhaps at one time he had even held the position... Perhaps he was what we would call the mayor of Sodom. And yet, this woman, Mrs. Lot, the mayor's wife, is fleeing from the doomed city. And as she flees from that doomed city, she takes one fleeting look back at what once was her home. She takes one fleeting look back at the city that she's leaving behind. The friends, the memories, and she is turned into a pillar of salt. She becomes frozen in her tracks. Death grips her. And she becomes little more than a piece of crude statuary there somewhere out in the desert. It's a strange story, a story that a lot of modern folks dismiss with a smile or a smirk perhaps on their faces, because they consider it nothing more really than just some old folk tale, a story that, well, it really has no meaning for our day and time. What could it possibly mean for people in the 21st century that in that far off day and time, God's going to rain down sulfur on the city of Sodom and a woman looks back and she's turned into a pillar of salt? What does that mean for us? Little Johnny heard the story in Sunday school and he said, Teacher, teacher, we were driving down the road the other day and my mother looked back and she turned into a telephone pole. And we wonder, what does this story mean for our day and time? But Jesus Christ read this story. And when Jesus Christ read the story, Jesus formed an altogether different interpretation of the facts, an estimate of the facts. Because Jesus read in this story a message that was timely, and at the same time that message was timely, Jesus read a message that was timeless because Jesus heard those death-frozen lips preaching a sermon. Jesus heard those death-frozen lips preaching a sermon that was needed by those people in His day and time and a sermon that's needed by people in our day and time a sermon that's needed by those of us that live in this present age. So to all men and to all women of all time, Jesus said, Remember Lot's wife. So for us to give some consideration to Lot's wife this morning is not going to be a waste of our time. You see, this woman was a woman that belonged to an excellent family. Her pedigree was an excellent pedigree. She had been a part of that little company of pioneers that had left Ur of the Chaldees. That little band of people that were destined to create a new period in the world's history and in the world's civilization. She was a member of a family That family to which the world owes more than to any other family, probably, than has ever lived. She was a part of that select group of people that has given to the world its greatest prophets and some of its sweetest singers. She was a niece, a niece by marriage, but she was a niece. To Abraham, the one through whom God was going to send the world its Savior. And being a part of this select family, it's reasonable to believe that she shared the faith of this family. When the tent was pitched, when the altar was built, when the sacrifice was made, she was there when the prayers were said, she was kneeling down, praying to God alongside Uncle Abraham. She was a woman that was enriched by the knowledge of God. And in all probability, she was a woman of faith. And she was a woman of prayer. But there came a time when she and her husband made a worldly choice. A strife arose between the herdsmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. And being the big and magnanimous man that he was, Abraham said, "...let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee." We're brethren. And if you go one direction, I'll go the other. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. You decide where you want to go, and Lot, I'll go in the opposite direction so there won't be any problems with us. And so the record tells us Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. Now I like to think that in all probability, neither Lot nor his wife ever intended to actually move into the city of Sodom. They just went in that direction, but they did. They did eventually move into the city. And in the city of Sodom, they prospered in fame and they prospered in fortune. And Lot, as we said, became one of the leading citizens, possibly even the mayor. And not only did Mrs. Lot move with her husband into Sodom, the greater tragedy is that Sodom moved into her. Because, folks, Sodom was a wicked city. The disgusting rottenness of the city of Sodom was a stench in the nostrils of decency. And it offered a lot. And tragically, Mrs. Lott fell in love with the city in spite of being there when the altar was built, in spite of kneeling beside Uncle Abraham when the prayers were said, in spite of the pure religion she had been taught, she was brought under the spell of the evil life in the city of Sodom. And yet, there's not a doubt in my mind that she wasn't left alone there. There's not a doubt in my mind that that she was the object of earnest fervent, heartfelt prayer on the part of her pious relatives in the uplands. She was the object of the keen solicitude of God Himself. And there came a time when the ruin of Sodom was imminent. There came a time when ghastly death was rattling the latch of her door. And God sent His messengers to warn her. God sent His messengers to warn her family. There is no way. There is no way that this woman could claim that she did not have a fair chance. She was faithfully warned. She was told with the most passionate earnestness that there was a doom that threatened the city. But she was also made to understand that there was a way of escape. She was made to understand that there was a way that would bring her to safety. In many respects, she was a woman of fine opportunities. And in spite of her opportunities, she failed. In spite of all of the warnings, she perished. She perished as did the most blighted, rotted soul in Sodom perish. And we have to ask, how did that happen to her? We have to ask, how did she manage to fail? She did not fail because of her unbelief. God sent messengers. And her belief in those heaven-sent messengers put her in an exceedingly small Minority, And you know, there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that messengers sent to Center, Texas, in 2015 would receive any different reception than those messengers in Sodom received so long ago. Lot's wife, she believed that stern message. And she responded to that stern message. But there was no eagerness in her response. She responded, but it was a response that was totally lacking in enthusiasm. You read the story in Genesis 19. You know what it says? She lingered. Along with her husband Lot. She lingered. Life is waiting for her in the heights. God has called her to the heights. Death is pressing on her heels there in the lowlands. And with God calling from the heights and with death pressing on her heels in the lowlands, she lingered. Safety is waiting for her without the city. Doom is waiting for her inside the city. And she lingered. She seemed intent on clinging to Sodom as long as possible. She was determined to stay away from the highlands as long as possible. In spite of the fact that she lingered, eventually, finally, ultimately, she set her face toward the heights. It was not eagerly, oh no. And it was not enthusiastically, but she made the start. She set herself to win salvation, but along the way something happened to her. And she did not win. The story says she looked back. Now, that seems to be kind of a small thing, doesn't it? Doesn't that seem to be a light offense, really? I mean, it's not that big a deal. She just looked back. What's wrong with that? What's wrong? She's leaving behind friends, and she's leaving behind families. She's leaving behind the life that she's known. What's wrong with taking just one nostalgic, longing look back? The wrong is not in that looking back that she did. The wrong is what that looking back indicated. When she was on her way toward the heights of God, and she turned and looked back toward the city, it indicated an undecided heart. It indicated a divided will. She was still in love with Sodom. Her steps are taking her away, but she looks back. She's still in love with the city of Sodom. She's making her way toward the heights, toward God, but she's not in love with the heights. She's not in love with the way of God. Life is calling to her from the hills, but Sodom is calling to her from the lowlands. And she was... In a measure attentive to both voices, she felt the lure of both voices, and she felt the lure of Sodom. So, with an undivided, with a divided heart, with a divided mind, with an undecided will, she looked back. And you know what it did for her? Well, Yeah. It turned her into a pillar of salt, it did more than that. This divided heart robbed her of her joy. Death and disaster are going to soon be making their home in the streets of Sodom. And knowing that, you would have thought she would have left the city just as fast as her little feet could have taken her and she would have been glad to do it. You would have expected her with nimble feet to hurry out of the city with a song on her lips, with a joy in her heart because she's being delivered. But what she was leaving behind more than counteracted the joy of what she was attaining. Because she was divided in her allegiance, there was a lack of joy. She's fingering the mud of Sodom with one hand. She's reaching with the other hand for the heights of God. And you know what she found? As she tried to be both places, she found nothing but wretchedness. Write this down. It's on the final exam. Divided hearts are always unhappy. No half hearted Christian is ever a joyous Christian. Think about it. Think how many people that all of us have known over the years. People that had no that found no gladness. People that found no joy in Christianity. People that found no happiness in being a Christian and couldn't walk around with a smile on their face. Think how many people we've known who measured their Christianity in terms of thou shalt nots. And they found the Christian life a dull, drab, joyless existence. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And they found the yoke of Jesus to be anything but easy. Easy. People that are like that story that I've told you a thousand times. This will make a thousand and one. Of the grandmother with her little granddaughter walking down the old country lane one day and over in the pastures, an old mule. Got a face long enough to eat oats out of a churn. The little girl says, Grandmother, is that mule a Christian? Why no, child, what gives you the idea of the mules a Christian? Well, that mule's got such a long face, I figured that mule had to be a Christian. People that find no joy... In serving the Lord. The divided heart that the mayor's wife had retarded her progress. The story over in Genesis says she looked back from behind. It doesn't take long for that individual who is undecided to fall behind. You remember the question of Elijah up on Mount Carmel? That day he was going in hand-to-hand combat with the prophets of Baal. He said, how long halt you between two opinions? If If Jehovah be God, follow Him. If Baal be God, follow Him. That man or that woman who is undecided, whose heart is divided, is a cripple. Indecision squanders our powers, it cripples us, and it saps us of our strength. A crippled man or a crippled woman cannot possibly keep pace with one who is not so afflicted. It's that individual, that man or that woman serving the Lord whose heart is united that makes progress. It's that individual that's decided that wins. And the mayor's wife's indecision, the mayor's wife's divided heart, it brought about her doom. It brought about her ruin. I want you to look at her. Look at her this morning with an eye of faith. She's shuffling along, making her way half-heartedly making her way joylessly away from Sodom and toward the heights. Watch her. Watch her as her steps become more halting. Watch her as her steps become slower. And at last she stops. And longingly she looks over her shoulder toward the city. The voice of her baser self said, Go back! The voice of her better self said, go on. Inclination says, go back. Conscience says, climb to the heights of God. And she looks back. And she becomes a piece of crude statuary. And the face of that statue was not facing toward the heights of God. The face of that statue was turned toward the lowlands, toward the city that God was raining sulfur down on to destroy. on the lips of that dumb statue is a message for me and for you. A divided heart is a wretched heart. Do you want to find joy in Jesus Christ? Then you've got to be totally committed to Jesus Christ. A divided heart does not make any real progress toward the heights of God. If you want to be a useful Christian, growing toward maturity in Jesus Christ, then you've got to be a wholehearted Christian. Because a divided heart in the end means death. A divided heart in the end means moral death. If you want proof, Jesus said, Remember Lot's life. As Joshua of old would say, Choose you this day who you'll serve. To serve Jesus Christ is victory. Any other choice? Is defeat It's his invitation as we stand, we